Hello, and welcome to another episode of Free and Clear. I'm John Collins, the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Naomi Wright, the founder of Be Emboldened. And we're asking the difficult questions that people have about religious abuse, breaking them down into simple terms, and helping people to become free and clear. Naomi, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, John. I'm hanging in there. I noticed you said be emboldened, which sounds so wonderful. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's listening, uh, right when this comes out, which will be Monday, February 14th is the goal, um, the website may not be fully live yet. We're pending like the very last final revisions, and then we got to swap over social media. So um, just so you know, you might still find us under Naomi Wright Ministries, but there's going to be a redirect. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, it sounds good. I'm excited for this to be final. I'm excited too. We've been building on, on william-branham.org. We've been building out our support channel section and I've, we've got the engine where it connects and it makes all of our support partners talk to each other. And soon we're going to have research trails where people who are seeking help can go through and they can find groupings of research information to help get them started. Oh, that's huge. I love yeah, that. That's going to be it, great. It's that's awesome. going to be so functional. Yeah, nice. it is awesome. So today we have an interesting subject. It's one that I, uh, I grew up believing. It was a doctrine that I fell for hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> and one that I have learned has some very sinister history behind it. And... Um, the, the topic that we're calling it is Serpent's Seed. However, its true form, its true name, is the Christian Identity Doctrine. And we've, I've had several questions come into the support groups about this particular topic because people who escape start looking into this and they start seeing all of the, the very sinister groups that use this as their foundation. So I'm, I'm a little bit excited to cover this. There's some there's some very interesting history behind it. I've never heard it called the Christian Identity Doctrine before. So that that right there was oh, new really? information for me. Yeah, I've never heard that. I've just heard Serpent Seed, and I was raised with it too. So I thought, I was like, oh right. yeah, this makes more sense. But of course, I was young and <laughs> never really followed it through to its real origins or its real end. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, so you'll be in for a few surprises, too. I, I know you were in a splinter group from the group that my family escaped, and the leader of the group brought this as though it were one of his own divine hidden mysteries that he revealed to the public. And, um, you know, I, I had no idea. Like I say, I fell for this hook, line, and sinker. But this, this was something that preexisted him. He, it was learned for him, and he learned it from a trail of men who had evil intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's get right into it. The cult church that we just escaped taught that the original sin in the Garden of Eden was a sexual affair between Eve and the serpent. I never really thought about how odd this seemed until sharing my past with members of our new church. Yet when I read the first few chapters of Genesis, it's hard for me to read it without thinking about what we were taught. Can you help me understand the difference between this doctrine and what the Bible says? 
Yeah, so there are quite a few verses in scripture that challenge the serpent seed doctrine. I'm just going to give a few and then make a couple of points and then John hand it back over to you. So to me, I've been saying this, gosh, for a very long time, like a few years since I realized what the deal was with this. Um, Genesis 4.1 to me is like the the bomb that gets dropped on this doctrine. Mm -hmm. It says that Adam knew his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And so some interpretations actually say made love to. Um, the point mm-hmm. in the original Hebrew, it's it's a known phrase of saying he knew his wife, that they were intimate together. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. So that right there is saying she did not have intimate relations with the serpent, whatever form the serpent was in at that time and get pregnant and give birth to Cain. Like this directly is in contradiction to that belief. Another one I want to point out is Acts 17, 26, where it says from one man, he, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. So this is saying from one man, every nation, not one man and one other being with two different seeds or two different nations so to speak so again this is directly in contradiction to the serpent seed doctrine the last one i'm going to point out is revelation 5 9 and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal that's talking about jesus because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for god persons from every tribe and language and people and nation so from every tribe every language every people and every nation so this does not give any indication that there's this absolutely enormous group at this point <laughs> of people that have been completely <laughs> right. excluded who do not have a shot um the last thing i want to say is that Just overall, you guys, and I've thought of this, and um, Mike Winger actually just released a video on this, and I was so happy that he pointed this out because it's, it's the, it's, this isn't a humorous topic when you think about what this is really about. And John, I'm going to let you speak to that here in a minute. But the ridiculousness of the doctrine, when you look at what scripture actually said, is, it's just kind of funny. I mean, and there's no way to say this without it sounding a little like, crude so please excuse me for that but just overall if eating of that tree was bad because we're said like god said not to eat of that tree like eating of that tree was bad but they could eat from any other tree they could eat the fruit from any other tree so if eating the fruit was a metaphor for intimacy can i say sex on this podcast if it was a metaphor (laughs) for sex but she could eat the fruit from any other tree, then that would imply, if you carry the metaphor through, that she could have sex with every other one but that one. So is there something (laughs) other than a serpent at each of those trees? Or is she literally having sex with foliage? Like, this just falls apart really, really quickly when the metaphor plays out. And you can't say that there's just this tiny little line of a metaphor, and yet the metaphor doesn't apply to anything else, especially when this is not a metaphorical book. Right. Like these chapters were not poetic. They weren't allegorical like Psalms and things like that. So there's a motive behind this doctrine that we need to investigate. Absolutely. And I don't want to go too deep into that motive in this first question. I'll be honest. This is a subject that to truly deeply understand it, 
it could probably take the next 10 podcasts. So I'm going to skim the surface, but if you are interested, just go to Wikipedia, look up the Serpent Seed Doctrine, look at the Christian Identity Doctrine, and look up a gentleman by the name of Daniel Parker. He is who basically the Americanized, Americanized version of this doctrine originated with Daniel Parker in 1826 in his book that, or his pamphlet that he wrote and called, that he called The Views on the Two Seeds. Um, what I do want to cover in this question, you talked about the metaphorical aspects of this. There is a, throughout time, there is this strategy that all cults use. And when I use the word cult, I'm not talking about the modern groups that when we think of cults, I'm talking way back in ancient times, whenever you had the cult of the follower, the believers in Isis and Osiris and ancient Egyptian cults, Sumerian cults, what these groups do, they try to de -de they try to limit the deity of God and raise the power of evil so that the evil gets more power, more empowered, and it's, it turns into this batter, battle that leaves you in fear. Is the power of God enough to conquer this evil? Well, it's almost there. It's almost equal, and we're caught in the midst of this battle. Um, you find that there are, when Christianity first was born, there were a lot of people who came out of these different cult sects, and especially in uh, like Egypt, where they had an Egyptian worship, the phallus was a large part of the worship. The phallus was a, it played a significant role in the cult of Osiris in ancient Egyptian religion. And they've unearthed in Israel, all throughout Israel, all of these cults, these different cult sects that are worshiping basically the penis. And what happened is when Christianity was born and you had all these people with these really weird influences, there were there was the notion by mischievous men with ill intent to try to combine these different mythologies into Christianity and create something that was even more appealing and more more mystical and from it birth Gnosticism. And what's really interesting about this and I'll I'll trail off here and we'll get to the next question, but the topic of this subject is serpent's seed. Serpent's seed is the name that was given to this Christian identity doctrine by William Marion Branham of Jeffersonville, Indiana. He's the only one who basically branded this doctrine as serpent's seed. <clears throat> and William Branham taught that there were seven church age messengers. He believed in dispensationalism. Of course, he put himself as the last messenger. But one of the messengers that he, that he basically claimed to be bringing the truth to the ancient world is Irenaeus, who was very outspoken against Gnosticism. And Irenaeus, in his book Against Heresies, the chapter on doctrines of the Ophites and the Sethians basically denounces this notion that Eve sinned by committing adultery. It's it's right there in the book against heresies. So the very you know one of the church age messengers that William Branham lifted up into you know cult doctrinal history was fully opposed to William Branham's own doctrine of serpent seed. 
and the William Branham Serpent Seed Doctrine actually was introduced at a later point in time of his ministry after his stage persona shifted into a different version of the stage persona, which is a subject I'll bring up in a later question. So there's there's some fascinating history. It's way more than I can say in, in one single answer to one single question, but there is so much to look at if somebody is really interested in digging deeper. Woo! Deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> it's there, there's a lot here. There is a lot here. Next question. Our pastor preaches sermons about two bloodlines in the world, one that is good and one that is evil. Tragic events that make world news are frequently topics for sermons as examples of how bad bloodlines are progressing and we are at war with the enemy. I leave church feeling afraid instead of refreshed. Is this an example of, re <clears throat> is this an example of religious abuse? This is an interesting question, John. So teaching two bloodlines is racist. Since the Bible is being twisted to back this up, yes, I would say this is religious abuse against anyone who's not Caucasian, for sure. In terms of the depiction of tragic events happening in the world, it's minimally a huge problem because it creates a divide it's another way of creating that us versus them mentality that we've spoken about before in other episodes, which eliminates a desire to serve others, a desire for reconciliation and restoration. Um, it eliminates feelings of love and empathy and compassion for those who are struggling. So it really shuts you down of I'm not I'm not here to to serve and to love and to help like I'm here to kind of protect myself and be set apart in a way that keeps me from rubbing elbows with anyone else. So it also likely eliminates your belief that you could mess up in similar ways. And that is untrue because you could. And that's concerning that someone would think that they could not. I think it actually opens them up to probably being tempted and making mistakes, thinking that they're above it, that it couldn't happen. You're not better than someone else and you're equally special and equally loved by God. So you are special and you are loved, but not more than anybody else. <laughs> right. So I'm going to put it this way. If you ran into someone from one of those news stories and you saw that he had a need, my question to you would be, would you seek to fill that need or would you get away from him as quickly as possible, seeing him as evil and wanting to run away for your own safety? If you know that in all honesty, your answer is the latter, that you'd want to get away, then I would say that's that's the result I'm talking about. And again, minimally, it's a huge problem. Right. Yeah, I addressing this question, I don't I don't see the doctrine itself as an example of religious abuse, but everything that is tied to this doctrine becomes used for a religious abuse. This is the foundation that was laid. And interestingly, this isn't the bottom most, the, the lowest foundation. This, the Christian identity doctrine is built upon the foundation of British Israelism, which is the notion that the Israel, Israelites that are in Israel, the, the people, the nation of Israel, are not the true one seed that is good, and that the people from Great Britain were 
the the good seed and everyone else in the world basically the white the white english people were the good seed and then everybody else especially if you had a different color of skin were the bad seed that's the foundation for that christian identity doctrine is built on top of this you basically are identified with the good seed that's why it's called christian identity and there was i'm going to throw out some more history <clears throat> there was a man by the name of roy e davis who was William Branham's mentor, and Roy E. Davis was the official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan. Roy Davis, in his church in Jeffersonville, was, there's a lot of things going on, that's also another interesting history to dig into, but in this church, he was trying to, he was coming to Jeffersonville at a time whenever the Indiana Klan was in disarray, so there was an opportunity he and the creator, the founder of the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, were starting a new white supremacy group called the Knights of the Flaming Sword. The 1915 Klan was also in somewhat in disarray. So there was, there was this strange event in white supremacy that happened at the time when William Branham first came in contact with his doctrine. And Branham mentions coming in contact with this doctrine from a man in his church named George D'Arc. Interestingly, the early versions of his stage persona rejected it. He said that all, men, all mankind came from the blood of Eve and Adam. Up until there was, a, there was an event in civil rights history called the Little Rock Nine, wherein nine students in Little Rock, Arkansas were nine black students in Little Rock, Arkansas, wanted to enter the schools, you know, to integrate. Integration was, was being enforced by the national government, but the states were fighting it. Our, the state of Arkansas shut down the school system for an entire year to try to fight integrating schools. And this turned into a huge event in the milestone of uh, civil rights. It was during this time during the heat of that battle that William Branham introduced the Serpent Seed Doctrine, reversed his claims that Adam and Eve were the, you know, the parents of all living. And along with this doctrine, he introduced the Klan's other doctrine, which is that black people and white people should not intermarry. He called, it was the doctrine that he called high-breeding. So William Branham introduced high-breeding and introduced Serpent Seed, or Christian Identity, both of which came, originated from the Ku Klux Klan. So, back to the question, is this an example of religious abuse? No, this is just horrifically wrong doctrine. This is, this is something that men invented, men with evil intent, but it was the foundation that was laid to create religious abuse. Once this foundation is laid, now I can say that this group of people are not the good seed and we are the good seed. William Branham used it basically for his cult group to as isolationists. You, we, I've actually been called serpent seed for questioning William Branham. They use it as, as a target, as an insult. It's an us versus them mentality. It's the foundation for an us versus them mentality. I have a couple comments, John. So the first one, you know, my answer, I landed at yes, and I want to add to that. It's based on the assumption that someone's using it, <clears throat> excuse me, intentionally. They know mm -hmm. that it's racist and they're using it for that purpose. 
Right. If someone doesn't know that, then, you know, you don't have the intention anymore. So I think that depends. So William Brenham, what did he, him using it, was it religious abuse? I would say yes. That's, that's true. I, the reason that I qualified it, that it's the foundation, I have been working with several ministers who have escaped this mm -hmm. religion. And some of them were, are still hardcore supporters of this doctrine. They are also not racist. I know I know them personally. I know them well enough to know that they actually love people of all color. They're not racist in the slightest, but they have no idea what this thing was to begin with and how it originated. Yeah, definitely. So, of course, the if someone really doesn't know, that's different than if someone's using it in a manipulative way for an agenda that they're trying to meet right. and fulfill. Now, for me... Growing up, Serpent Seed was not, it was interesting, John, because I don't know if people, again, if they really spent the time to think it through, because there was a distinction in color, like you weren't mm. supposed to intermarry, and yet, but, but someone who was Caucasian could be a Serpent Seed, could be from the Serpent Seed. So again, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't even fully in alignment with itself, which is interesting right. to look back on. Again, no one really asked questions and really critically thought about it. So anyone could be Serpent Seed. And what I find so interesting about that is how could I be serpent seed not being a part of the group when my parents were and my dad was supposedly the prophet? How could my dad and my mom, who are still held in such high esteem, have given birth to a serpent seed child? <laughs> the answer to that is in one of the upcoming questions. But it is such... People, deep down inside, people know that this doctrine is wrong. But... With cult, being unduly influenced into a cult, you have to try to reconcile what you know is wrong with your inward good desire to be a genuinely loving person. Nobody wants to be racist unless they're just completely programmed to be that way. You don't, somebody who's two years old, if you put them into a playpen with, you know, a white child with a black child, they're going to play with the black child mm -hmm. because we're all humans. We want to love each other. It's people that have been manipulated and trained to be that way. So what happens is people who don't know the history of this doctrine, why it exists and, and fully understand it, they try to reconcile it and they've morphed it into something that even William Branham didn't say, which we'll get to in an upcoming question. Okay. What question? Next. Let's get to it. <laughs> Let's get to it. Let's get right to it. <laughs> Next question. I'm starting to realize that the church we attended is abusive and cult-like. They teach us that the serpent from the Garden of Eden had sex with Eve and produced a race of people that try to stop the bride. They also tell us that our black children cannot marry white children. I'm beginning to feel like an outsider in my church. Are they talking about us? John, I already know that you have a much more long-winded <laughs> answer to this question than I do. Minus like seven words. Are you ready for it? It's one sentence. Okay. Yes, but they probably won't say so if you're tithing well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've, I think I've mentioned this a few times now. I have been to cult 
churches in this particular religion from Arizona to South Carolina growing up. I have seen it all. I've seen churches who had no idea they were supposed to be racist. I've seen churches who embraced racism because they knew that they were supposed to. And I've seen everything in between. And it's always interesting whenever I visit people who are black people or, you know, different colored skin, and they're the targets of this, the ways in which they try to reconcile this very horrific doctrine, I don't know how they can do it. I honestly don't. Even as deeply as you're programmed, as deeply as you're influenced, how how on earth it would be, what's a good example? If Let's say I have red hair, and I'm attending this church where the pastor is telling me that I have red hair and I'm a good person, but I can't marry somebody who's got blonde hair. And my children who also have red hair, when they grow up, they can't marry children with black hair. How, how on earth do I feel comfortable going to this church? How do I feel welcome as though I'm one of them? You know what I mean? It's, it's like they're, they're just they're profiling you. They're making you different. Yeah, you're going to feel like an outsider. You're going to feel like you've been casted out while still in the midst. It's very unusual. There was a William Branham cult pastor in Johnson City, Johnson City, Tennessee, that his sermons went viral a few years ago whenever he was preaching on the doctrine that William Branham created to go with this, the high-breeding doctrine, and was just railing people who were black who were marrying white and it went viral he got labeled the most racist pastor in America and he tried to defend himself he actually went on the radio and tried to defend himself and his his answer was something I don't remember don't quote me exactly on this but you can go look it up it was something to the effect I'm not racist I've bought them bicycles and it was a separation. It was an us versus them mentality. I'm not racist. I bought them bicycles, something to that effect, right? As if they're lower and they need bicycles. I, I fo- didn't fully understand what he was saying. But what it made me realize, and this is not one of the pastors that I'm talking about with, with good intent or, you know, that's not racist. I don't know him well enough to know. But what I could see is that he he also, while preaching it, had no idea where it came from, had no idea that it was racist, and didn't understand the subject of racial profiling. He understood hatred of black people because he, in the same speech, he's talking about, um, you know, he says William Branham is not a racist. He's not friendly with the Ku Klux Klan. He didn't know that William Branham was working directly with the Ku Klux Klan. He didn't know this. and. But what he was trying to say is William Branham loved black people. What people misunderstand about white supremacy, it isn't that they don't love the people of different colors. It's that they think they are superior to the people of different colors. And this serpent seed doctrine lays the foundation that enables one group of people to pretend that they are superior to another group of people. You're the good seed. Those other people over there are the bad seed. Yeah, it's making me think of someone who says, just to put it in different terms, like, I'm not a misogynist. I don't hate women because I'm married to one. Right. Mm, No, you might just treat her really badly. (laughs) Exactly. 
because you're just you're using her for something that you want. Um, you don't actually see her as equal in value and worth. And so, yeah, it's the same thing. And I've I've heard that so many times from different people. Um, I grew up in an area where there was a, a strong racist culture in certain areas of the city. Not everywhere, but definitely in certain areas. And if you talk to someone from that area, they would try to say something along the lines of kind of like the bicycle comment. Oh, I'm not a racist because I have a black friend. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, but how do you view your friend who has a different skin color than you? Again, do you view them as truly equal? And sometimes it can be hard to really get down deep enough to the, I want to say the seed of it, but I feel like that's the wrong word to use because of what we're talking about. (laughs) But getting down really to that root of, gosh, is there something underneath that is, it can be so covert that we can miss it, not even realize it's there. And that does happen. And so the true answer may be, Yes, someone has a root of racism. They don't want it there. They didn't intend to have it there. Now that they recognize it, they need to work on getting rid of it. And if it's affected anyone along their route, like, is there a way to reconcile? Is there restitution in some form? Is there an apology that's needed? So, no, it's definitely not always this intended, calculated, manipulative system um, but also sometimes it is. And so I think we, right. we have to be open to either and ask questions. Okay, so let's get into the next question, which answers the topic that you were asking. How can you be serpent seed when your parents are not because they're, they were still you know members of the cult or whatnot? Next question. For several years, we were members of a cult. The group preached that they, what they called serpent seed or two bloodlines. Our pastor tells us that these are quote-unquote spiritual bloodlines, not races of people. But then he says that the white people are not to marry other races. I'm confused. Can you explain the difference between the spiritual bloodlines and the physical bloodline doctrine? Well, I'm so glad that you're confused, John, because (laughs) (laughs) this is BS, John. (laughs) Um... So I'm going to let you talk about how people got where they got to with this, but I just want to give kind of the direct answer. First, there is no spiritual bloodline doctrine, as we discussed towards the beginning of this episode. There isn't one based on scripture. We don't have these different bloodlines going on. Um, Second, there isn't a physical bloodline doctrine either that I can think of that would have any sort of relevance or anything of importance to add here. Since Jesus's offer of salvation is an open invitation to all Jew and quote unquote Gentile, as everyone non-Jewish was referred to, a physical bloodline is no longer a thing either. So it was a thing in the Old Testament being Jewish. And then Jesus came and opened it up to everyone. It's, it's not a bloodline thing anymore. So there isn't this physical aspect either. So the sole reason for a doctrine like this would be because the group has bought into something that's false. And again, we've talked about the roots of this is founded in racism. There is a connection to the KKK. So again, not everyone is using it in that way now intentionally or knowingly, but it is a false doctrine that's pulling from things that aren't actually backed in scripture. And so John, to kind of answer my own question a little bit, 
I get the spiritual part of, oh, I'm spiritually not a part of, I'm spiritually not the real bloodline. (laughs) This gets really funky. I mean, this gets really weird because I was still raised by my parents. How did I somehow get this different spiritual seed than my lineage? It's just, it's really odd. Yeah. It... I'll explain this in a simple way, and then I'll go a bit deeper with the history. Keep it simple for me, John. (laughs) Whenever I first left this religion and started digging into all of the things that we were taught, one of the things we were taught is that, and looking back, it's just so absurd. I I can't believe that I, you know, I consider myself a smart man. I can't believe that I fell for this all of those years, but... We believe that in the year 1909, the stars and the planets aligned to shine down upon William Branham, who would carry the message and be the messenger of the last days, so on and so forth. 1909. And this we believed because the later versions of his stage persona used the year 1909 and claimed this. Yet the government documents that he himself signed used the birth year 1908 and he also used 1907. He it it appears his actual birth year was 1907, but on his marriage license he used the year 1908. One of the years I think is the 1907 year is tied to he he tried to parallel himself to the prophet Moses. He said as Moses was given two signs, so are you given two signs? And he says the day that. John Alexander Dowie died on one day and I was born the next. Dowie was another cult leader and that year was 1907. So he ties a lot of things to 1907 spiritually. He also ties his Elijah ministry to 1909. So they both can't be. Either he's Elijah or he's Moses. Either it's 1909 or it's 1907. 1908 is this weird year. I don't know why he signed it, but whatever. I I presented this to somebody who was hardcore message follower of William Branham and he says I don't understand it John but I believe every word the prophet spoke now you can't believe that right you can't believe somebody was born two different years or three but there this is a subject that simplifies it for you it's called cognitive dissonance when your mind cannot reconcile something you try your your mind as a self-preservation mechanism will reconcile it for you you will start to add details morph them merge them so on and so forth until it becomes something that it truly was not to begin with so at the beginning of this conversation we were talking about logically this doctrine can't be if you read this bible verse and this other bible verse you can't reconcile it with the bible it you can, you can twist a few verses and make it sound like it, but if in twisting those verses, you can't make it sound like the entire Bible. You can't make that passage from Acts fit with the serpent seed doctrine, for instance. So what happened? William Branham, who is the basically the origin of what's called serpent seed, which was a recreation of the Christian identity doctrine, became the leader of the post-World War II healing revival. And in his attempt to create a cult in the early years, everyone was welcome. You could be Baptist, you could be Catholic, you could be Methodist. Come join us and you're welcome and you can worship with us in these revivals. 
until his cult was established, and then he started denouncing all of these people and their groups that they came from. Because it was so widely popular, it spread all throughout the United States. There are men who were, and this is, again, why I say that it's the foundation for something that is spiritual abuse, but it's not technically spiritual abuse. There were so many non-racist ministers who thought that William Branham was preaching truly from the Bible, and they adopted it all throughout, especially in the southern United States. This is a big, big thing in the southern United States. It fits with the themes of racism, which still today exist in the southern United States. But it presents huge log logical flaws, like the ones you mentioned. But take it a step deeper. Moses had a very black wife. You had Solomon, who also had a black wife. He talks about it in, I think, Song of Solomon. You had all throughout, even in, in the um, Mosaic Law, there were provisions for mixing with other races. If you, one of the spoils of war were the women that you could take and they were to cut their hair for a period of time and you could take them as wives. There are provisions for this in the Old Testament. These pastors knew these scriptures, but it doesn't fit. Then fast forward to, or rewind back to the flood. If there were two seeds, and the evil seed was fully eradicated in the flood, then what happened? Where are the two seeds? Where are the two bloodlines? So one of the ways in which this was reconciled, and I've heard it from several ministers, is that at the point of time in which the flood happened, it no longer became physical bloodlines, but then became spiritual bloodlines. And it's their way to reconcile something that has a fully illogical foundation. It's like it floats. It's like it's a, <laughs> a virus somehow yeah. that kind of floats around and get spread <laughs> and passed and can survive even a flood a disaster, right. supposedly. Right. And it is, I mean, for anyone who's listening who's like, wow, I've believed this and I just haven't really thought about it. Um, because I can see where you would think it, it makes sense in some way from a superficial level. If you don't think too hard about it, it kind of makes sense. As soon as you start thinking about it and you start investigating it, it falls apart really quickly. So for anyone mm -hmm. out there who's like, wow, I've just kind of gone along with this, and maybe you haven't even realized why not go along with it. It's not a big deal. I mean, and I could see that too. If someone doesn't get the racist part out of it, isn't they're not landing there. They're just thinking, oh, this is how evil came to be in the world and they're kind of leaving it there, they might think, well, this isn't really even super harmful. It's just not something that affects my day-to-day -day very much. But again, mm -hmm. as you hear us talk and you start to learn more about why this doctrine really is problematic, I hope you'll, you'll spend some more time on it. Here, here's the thing that I've learned. When I had no idea growing up in this religion that I was racist. Had no idea. I will fully admit and apologize publicly, I have several times, for being racist, but I, did not, I didn't know it. I was born and raised this way. I was born... I still loved people of all color. I, I truly did. I, I have always, I've never deviated from that, but I viewed them incorrectly. I viewed other people with other skin as though they were different from me instead of all one single human race of beings, right? So... It, the problem that I have with this doctrine is that 
what I've noticed is in in the north, for instance, the churches that teach this, if you are in a church with very few, if any, people who aren't that don't have white skin, you think nothing of it, especially when you combine this with the high breeding doctrine, because you're not sitting here looking at people with other skin. You're just thinking, oh, this is okay, this is the way it is. Go into a church where you have people of a variety of colors, and then start thinking deeply about the combination of the serpent seed doctrine and the high breeding doctrine, and then try to put yourself in their shoes. So if you're a white person, think what if you weren't white? What if you're a black person and you're being told that you cannot marry a white person because of this high breeding doctrine? And also, by the way, there are two seeds and one of them is good and one of them is evil. The black person in their mind is going to immediately think, oh my gosh, I'm of the bad seed. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And what could they do? It's horrific. It is yeah. absolutely horrific. It's not even changeable. All right. Let, last question. Let's wrap this up. When I left our cult church, I pretty much left religion in general. The further I distanced myself from the cult, the odder it seemed. One of the weirdest things the cult taught was that there was a good race of people and a bad race of people living in the world. Do you think that other groups believe the same thing? Personally, in the United States specifically, I don't know the prevalence of, well, let me back up. I don't know the prevalence of serpent seed doctrine in other countries either. But within the United (laughs) States, I have yet to come across it in another group. I haven't yet. Mm -hmm. Um, There certainly can be a culture of good people versus bad people. We talk about, you know, evil versus good and and things like that. But not not so much... um, based on race, not so much like a race division. Now, I'm not saying that that can't exist. I'm not saying there are individuals or maybe specific churches where racism is still prevalent, where there's something like that going on. But I have not seen the serpent seed doctrine be used Mm -hmm. elsewhere. Now, I do want to touch on this part, especially in relation to the idea of a spiritual bloodline, Um, because we do know bloodlines and lineage were important back in the day. I mean that, you know, Jesus was tracked from David who was tracked from, you know, he started with Abraham. And so, <coughs> excuse me, there was an importance that God gave to the lineage. Again, we, everything got opened up when Jesus died and was resurrected, you know, is supposed to go out. The message of the gospel is supposed to go out to everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to choose it. Now, I do hear this sort of idea in the context of the predestination debate, which I'm not actually going to get into right now, but I feel like it needs to be mentioned um, because, I mean, I've met Catholic racists, I've met evangelical racists, I've met, you know, anyone, but again, it's not tied to religious beliefs, at least not as tightly and intentionally as the Serpent Seed Doctrine. Um, but I do hear this idea of groups that are good and groups that are bad um, again, in relation to predestination. So that's a conversation about whether God has predestined who's going to be saved and who's not, um, mm-hmm. including who will follow him, who's not going to follow him, who's going to have salvation, who won't. So there is a, there's a split even in mainstream Christianity between denominations in regards to this belief. 
So, but again, these arguments aren't based on race. They're based on did God choose who's going to who's going to choose him and who's not going to choose him. And so the idea of like good people versus bad people can be tied to that idea of predestination. Um, but again, it's not tied to race. So even if someone is in a mainstream Christian denomination and believes in predestination, I, again, I haven't heard that tied in as serpent seed is tied in. So there's still a difference Mm. there. Yeah. I, I think I'll qualify what you said a bit though. Um, so we're, the subject that we're talking about is serpent seed, which is, this is William Branham's version of the Christian identity doctrine. So unless you are a William Branham follower or somebody who has been influenced or in one of his many splinter groups, then probably no, probably not the specific version of it. But it is essentially a rebranding of the Christian identity doctrine, which originated, I want to say it was the Southern Baptists. Um, I can't remember exactly the denomination that Parker was in. I think it was Baptist. But in the South, racism is still prevalent. I've, I've grew up a lot of my life in the South. I've witnessed it. And it is... For somebody who is racist, this is a very popular doctrine because it gives you the ammunition that you need to still continue to be racist and think that you're a Christian and following Christ, etc. So the Christian identity doctrine is still widespread. It's not so much in the North, but if you just simply Google Christian identity doctrine, you'll find apologists who are still fighting this today because it is it is very widespread largely due to the fact that William Branham spread this and helped spread this under the the rebranding of Serpent Seed. Now, Branham was not the only one. You know, there were obviously others who were spreading the same doctrine but did not give it the same name. They, in fact, they did not give it a name. It later became known as the Christian Identity Doctrine. So it is very widespread. But, um, you know, the thing of it is, a lot of people who are helping to spread it still don't know that it's embedded deeply embedded in racism they have no idea and taking it a step distance further they don't know that it is basically built upon the foundation of this british israelism some history there that i'll i'll wrap up and close with um which is crazy interesting history when william branham started reinventing his stage persona in the 40s He worked, believe it or not, with the Kardashian family. When you think Kim Kardashian, you can think the people who were sponsoring William Branham. He mentions it, but not by name. He does mention Dimas Shikarian, which was Kardashian's great-uncle, I think. Kim Kardashian's great-uncle or great-great-uncle. Shikarian was the founder of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. They sponsored William Branham and this man named Clem Davies. Davies was a hardcore um, British Israelism uh, proponent. He was spreading British Israelism all through the United States and Canada. Joining with him in his speeches was a man by the name of Gordon Lindsay, who was William Branham's campaign manager and publisher of William Branham's magazine, The Voice of Healing. So you have these this array of men who are basically building their platforms on British Israelism. Davies was also a member of the Ku Klux Klan and holding Klan rallies in his church. 
So you have white supremacy, the Klan, the British Israelism, the Christian identity. All of this was bundled as one thing. And then all of these men started spreading it, and it became a deep part of the post-World War II healing revival, which spread all throughout the world, not just the United States. So there are other countries who have adopted this, don't even know that they've adopted something that's racist. And like, you know, like the example that you gave, I think a lot of countries and a lot of churches have tried to reconcile it away through cognitive dissonance into something else that in no way matches what it was presented to them as. But at its core, at its foundation, is this very, very evil racist doctrine. I think ultimately what happens for people in practicality is that there's this fear of I could be serpent seed and so I just need to be really obedient and do everything right and and listen and be as faithful as possible so that I prove that I'm actually not. Because there's no control in if you are or not when it's not race connected in your church today. And so it's just this fear of, oh my goodness, what if I am? I want to make sure I'm not. And so then it becomes this very kind of works-based situation Mm. of I'm trying to earn the title of actually being one of the chosen so I'm not cast out as being serpent seed. And if I am cast out of serpent seed, here's what really kills me. If you are cast out as serpent seed, that's what you're called. You can't change that. Right. You can't suddenly not be serpent seed anymore. And so it's like you're just done. You're done. Mm -hmm. There's no chance at reconciliation in any form. There's no chance at salvation in the future. So to hell with it all. And in your own mind, you've you've discounted yourself. And so it's Mm -hmm. a really it's a really problematic doctrine in more than one way, no matter how it's applied, whether there's a racist component to it in your church or not it's really problematic in how it's going to impact you and your walk in your faith. Right. We started the program with logic. Logically speaking, this cannot be because here are these verses that it just simply can't fit with. Let's end it in logic. So logically speaking, let's say hypothetically, let's say hypothetically that this was somewhat Bible-based. Let's say that there was some evidence somewhere in the Old Testament to support this doctrine, for instance. But yet we're in the New Testament, the new covenant of grace, and it's by faith you're saved. Nothing that you can do of yourself, nothing that you can do, and including being born, right? All you have to do is accept Jesus Christ. So logically speaking, if this is the case, and combining with what you just said, what if you were born of the bad race? What if you spiritually had this serpent seed, the spiritual serpent seed, or this physical serpent seed, what good does this doctrine even do? What purpose does it serve? Either you, A, believe that it's not by faith you're saved in Jesus Christ, like the gospel says, or B, there's this thing that doesn't, that's outside of the realm of Jesus's power, of God's power to save. And here's this thing that God just simply does not have the power to save. So logically speaking, you've basically created a new God. It's not the same God that's in the Bible. You've created this weaker God that has this enemy that he can, here's this group of people I can do nothing about. I can't save those ones. So logically speaking, what do you do with this doctrine? 
it really serves no purpose. There's no reason to even preach it because if God is that powerless that there's this group of people that he can't save, why even preach about it? Because he can do nothing about it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's irrelevant. I think what really impacts me as I think about this doctrine is how, how I just didn't think about it. Yeah. How it was just a part of what I grew up with. It wasn't really on my radar. And yet I can remember being scared. Mm. I can remember it instilling fear in me on top of everything else that was instilling fear in me and this concern of, oh my goodness, what if I'm one of those and I don't even know it and it's just going to pop up one day and I'm just going to be bad and I'm not actually going to make it into the new heavens and the new earth and I'm going to get kicked out. And I just, I think of that feeling and yet again, it was something that was just a part of, it was like telling me one plus one equals two. It was just, mm. it was just something that yeah. you, you took the pill and you swallowed it. And it's just, that's what you believe. And all of these problems, um, and then the history that you've brought to light, it's something that non-cultists and non-ex-cultists, it's a doctrine that they look at and they think this is nuts, guys. This is nuts. Mm -hmm. And I think what they miss, I don't disagree with them, but unfortunately what they miss is the real mess it causes and the fallout for people. I mean, this is a really harmful doctrine. And so Very I would just harmful. end on that. This is a harmful yeah. doctrine, you guys. So please take it seriously. Yeah. I Every single day I find something new that was programmed into my mind that I have to fully reverse and this is one of the bigger ones. So we hope that you've enjoyed it, the conversation that we've had. We hope you've learned something. Like I said, I can only skim the surface. There's so much history here to examine. And if you do a few Google searches on Christian identity, I think you'll come across what you're looking for. If you have questions that you'd like to hear on the show, please send them to us. You can contact us on the contact page of freeandclearshow.com. And we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you become free and clear.